Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. We are a multi-generational community of grace on mission, and you are always invited to join us online or in person. Learn more about us at sevenriversvillages.org. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And it's really easy when we, uh, we can talk and say things like, I believe in Jesus, you know, and, you know, he's great, he's my guy. Um, me and Jesus are, you know, close. And, but it's really hard to really believe in Jesus, um, you know, when suffering, pain, hurt, and death um, start to engage in our lives. It, it, it gets a little bit more difficult. So, like, you can say a bunch of things that you believe, but when, you know, essentially the rubber meets the road, you know, we really do find out what you believe, if you really believe it. It's easy to say things, but do you really believe it? And so, like, when, you know, death, suffering, pain, evil, sin encounter your life, is it possible to have hope in moments like this? What do you believe in moments like that? Is it possible to have hope when you lose a job, when you lose your loved ones, when you lose your health, when you grow older, uh, when your body doesn't work the way it should work? Uh, is it possible to have hope when life is not turning out the way that you want it to turn out? And that is when those moments you're confronted with the reality of what you actually believe. And so many of you, like me, sit in this room and, and we say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the son of God. He is king over my life and my savior. We know the true meaning of Christmas. But what happens when life falls apart around us? What do you really believe? So maybe this Christmas season, there's going to be a spot missing at the table. Maybe you're currently going through a marriage crisis. Uh, Maybe it's really quiet, lonely, uneventful, and boring Christmas season for you. Just too much so. Maybe you're struggling with the feeling that there's really nothing else to look forward to in this life. Is there hope for you? Is there hope for this world? Evil, pain, and suffering, they muddle our lenses, our eyesight. They blind us to the hope that we find in Jesus. So during the time of Jesus' birth, the first century... This is not an unfamiliar experience for, uh, for people. The Roman Empire had taken control over Israel, just another, another uh, world power conquering Israel in the story of Israel's history. And Rome establishes a puppet king over Israel, Herod, to rule over Israel. And Israel is sitting here waiting. God's people are waiting for their king. The promised king that was going to come and save them. The king that God had promised throughout their history to give them. But year after year, it comes and goes, and no Messiah, no hope. All they're left with is pain, evil, suffering, and death. And it's within this context that Simeon, who we're going to read about in Luke chapter 2, grows up, experiences the world, experiences that as a child, as a young man, as an old man now, And it's at his, in his old age, that finally he sees the fulfillment of God's rescue plan. Hope. 
So if you would, would you stand with me? And we'll read Luke 2, 22 through 35. There's nothing more important said this morning than these words. So listen closely. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The grass withers and the flower faints, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. You may take a seat. How good it is to read this story in a world that we live in, to hear this story, to see this story. My first point that I want you guys uh, maybe to jot down if you have or you plan to take notes, maybe you don't, <laughs> is promised salvation. So in Thailand a few years ago, I'm sure you guys have heard the news. Um, maybe you've seen the documentary. Maybe you've even watched the movie. This is like the story that like went around the world was about these boys, the, the soccer team and their coach, in Thailand that go into a cave like a monsoon approaches, pours down all this rain and they are thought to be dead because the cave floods and they've disappeared. And, and then the families and the parents, they go looking and they search these caves and they're trying to find these caves and they bring in scuba divers, world class, the best that you can find, scuba divers to come in and to dive these caves to look for these boys, to look for their bodies. And so these scuba divers from all over the world, they come together, a few of them, and they search, and they search, and they search, and they search through these, through these caves, these incredibly difficult caves to dive. And sure enough, they find them alive. And these boys, they see these scuba divers, and they're thrilled. They were in the dark, all alone, just themselves, having no idea that anyone was going to come and rescue them. But then these scuba divers appear. And they have hope because they make a promise, these divers. They couldn't take them now. They couldn't take them out. But they were going to come back. They had a promise that they would return. If you look at verses 25 through 26, Simeon has a promise, a promise from God. One, that a king is coming. One, that a Messiah is coming. This is the idea of waiting for consolation of Israel. And they had a promise that he would see and witness this king before his death. What is Simeon waiting on? 
He's waiting on the fulfillment of the, of the promised Messiah. So when mankind sinned because they listened to a snake in Genesis 3, the whole world was put under a curse that you and I live in. But God had promised that he would send a man in Genesis 3, 15, that would come and crush the head of the serpent, right? But the snake would bite his heel. Israel is waiting for the snake crusher king. When Israel inhabited the land that God had promised to them, he established themselves as a nation. And God raised up a man after his own heart whose name was David, right? Who became king over Israel. And God made a promise to David that he would reign, his kingdom would reign forever over Israel. But David sinned, God's, um, David's son sinned, Israel sinned. And then, as you know, the story of Israel, as, as it unfolds, Israel becomes divided, a civil war, then they're conquered, and the throne of David falls. And now they're ruled by the Roman Empire. Israel's waiting for the son of David to return to the throne, to save them, to rescue them. And when this king shows up, he will be their hope, their hope fulfilled. What will this look like? What is it going to look like? Gene Purdy is a man who lives in Denver, Colorado. I don't know, this is also on the news too, but he has a wife whose name is Joy and a son named Lincoln. And Gene has actually never seen his son um, nor his wife. He suffers from a retina disease called Stargardt's disease. And if you know anything about the disease, what it does is it, takes, it blurs your central vision. And so all you can see is fragments of people. And so all that he's been able to see his entire life is just little fragments and pieces of his wife and his son. And then he tries to imagine and piece those together. And, and that he's never seen them in fullness. He's only had these pieces to work with. Well, these scientists and engineers, they, they work together and they created these glasses that actually reverse Stargardt's disease. And so if he wears these glasses, it will take what he sees, the information, and it would be able to show him in fullness so that he could see for himself his wife and his son. So he does this, it, it, he gets these glasses, he puts them on, and there's a video of this, and he sees his wife and son for the first time in fullness. And he's overwhelmed, and he weeps because he's witnessing what he's always known to be there, but finally sees it to be fully true in his fullness. There's a promise of rescue. We get little pieces of that promise in fragments, but what will that look like? The second point is revealed salvation. So for these boys in Thailand, as they're waiting for their rescue, the scuba divers show back up, but it's not how you would have thought. They brought an anesthesiologist with them and scuba gear for these boys. And what they tell these boys is, we're going to have to tie you up. We're going to have to put you under. And we are going to drag you through the darkness of the cave, underwater, all the way out. The reason they had to do this was it was way too difficult. It would be way too difficult for anybody to be able to rescue themselves without any training that these professionals had. The documentary shows that these professionals, scuba divers, really thought that when they put these boys under, that that was going to be it. But they had to do something, try something. 
So this was the plan. This was what is laid out. Would these boys trust the plan? Would they trust these scuba divers to carry them out, to bring them home, to rescue them? Verses 29 through 32, we see that his eyes have been opened. He witnesses the plan. He sees it. It's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. It's for the glory to God's people. What did Simeon see, right? Simeon saw a baby. God is revealing to the world that Jesus, this baby, is the one who will crush the snake. He will bless the nations. And he will not only save Israel, but he'll also save the Gentiles, the world. During the first century, it would have been expected, based on the prophecies of the Old Testament, that the king that was going to be revealed was going to be a warrior. It was expected that the king that was going to be revealed was going to defeat the current foe or enemy, which would have been Rome at the time, and liberate just Israel. But the Messiah that's revealed in this story, the king that's revealed in this story, is a baby born to a poor family. And instead of conquering the Romans, this Jesus would be crucified by them. How does Simeon respond in his old age to this revelation? He's waited his whole life to see this. Simeon's response is to worship, to hold, to sing over this child. He accepts Jesus and who he is. He accepts the suffering and pain and death that are going to continue until all who are being um, saved by Jesus are fully returned to him. But this revelation of the king is not going to be accepted by all of Israel. Simeon talks about this. Uh, Jesus will be what they did not expect. He will be what they do not want. He'll be to some a sign of a fulfilled promise and hope, but to others a sign of opposition and division. God's revealed salvation, Jesus, forces every single one of us into a moment where we have to either accept him as savior and king or reject him as imposter. This is what he means towards the end of the, cha- uh, of the passage when he says that some of Israel are going to fall because of this and some will rise. And the question that you are forced to ask as you read this is do you accept Jesus or do you reject him? There's a popular preacher, um, his name, I think he's Baptist actually, so I'm not, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to quote him um, as a Presbyterian, but his, his name is Paul Washer and uh, he, 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 he does a great job describing this concept because right now you, you, we have to understand that we live in a miraculous moment in space, time, and history and the redemptive historical arc of the story. Right now we live in a moment where God's wrath is being currently withheld but also God's love is being currently offered in forgiveness. But there is a day coming when that is not going to be true 
And the wrath and judgment of God will be poured out in fullness. And he describes, Paul Washer describes it kind of like this. Jesus, he says, is with one arm is, is saying, God, wait, hold on. And with the other arm is extending it out to you and inviting you to accept him, to believe in him. He's reaching his other arm out, speaking to you to wake you up, to resurrect you from the dead from your spiritual death with two hands. It's a miraculous moment. It's a great moment to be alive because there's still time. There's time to accept Jesus and to believe in him. But there is a moment, and I don't know when, when both arms will fall and all of those who are holding on to Jesus, who Jesus is holding on to, will be covered by him, spared from God's wrath, and those who are not will encounter it in fullness. What does Simeon do? He holds Jesus. How silly, though, to think that he's holding Jesus. I think he understood this, too. He realized that this baby holds me. This is the question that Jesus is asking with his life and his existence. During his three years of ministry, this is what he asks his disciples. Do you believe me? Do you accept me? One of my favorite stories is about Peter. Peter, he sees Jesus in the flesh. He sees Jesus healed the blind. He sees Jesus cast out demons. He sees Jesus resurrect the dead. But on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, Peter did not believe that Jesus was the rescue plan for himself or for Israel. He lost hope. Evil, suffering, pain, death, all muddling his vision. And he denied Jesus three times to spare his own life. Because if he confessed that he knew Jesus, he would have been crucified with him. And what kind of rescue plan is that? I think of the early church, the church that these apostles started. All of these apostles had rejected Jesus. They were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. They were frequently executed in torturous ways like being burned with fire or being thrown to beasts to be eaten alive as entertainment for the public. But Christianity spread like a wildfire throughout the entire region despite the suffering. Despite the humiliation, the embarrassment, despite the evil, despite the dying, it could not be snuffed out. Tertullian, in the late 2nd century, wrote in his book called Apologeticus that the blood of the martyrs, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And do you know what happens to the Roman Empire? In the 4th century, approximately around 300 years after Jesus had lived, died and resurrected, the Roman emperor himself bows his knee to Jesus. Rome conquered, but not by force, but through crucifixion, dying. This is the rescue plan. You're going to go under, but Jesus will carry you out. 
It's not just for Jews, but it's for Gentiles, us. It's not just for Jews, but it's for Romans, enemies of the Jews. Simeon witnesses this. He sees it, and he believes it. But do you? This does mean you will suffer. This does mean you will experience pain, evil, and you might taste death. And you might never fully see God's work accomplished in fullness in your lifetime. But Jesus is asking you, do you believe me? Do you love me? In John 21, the resurrected Jesus, this is the great part of the story of Peter. He approaches Peter. And he asks Peter three times, do you love me? Jesus did not reject Peter, although he would have been right to. Jesus did not ignore Peter, although he would have been right to. Jesus did not condemn Peter, although that's what Peter deserved. But he approaches Peter and offers him forgiveness and a new relationship. Peter says, I do love you. But do you know what that means for Peter? It means that he will lose his life. Peter's ending of his story is he's crucified upside down. What did Peter see that changed him forever? He wasn't willing to die for Jesus in the flesh. He rejected him three times. And then something happens to Peter where he's willing to die upside down, crucified, alone, at the end of his life. What did he see? He saw glorious salvation, and that's the third point. Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to God. The firstborn Israelites always set apart according to God's law as holy. This is, goes back to the story of Exodus when Israel leaves Egypt. They get out of slavery because of the, these ten plagues that God sends on Egypt. And the last act of these ten plagues, the tenth plague, is an angel of death descending upon Egypt. And this angel of death kills every firstborn child, every firstborn livestock. But Israel's firstborns are spared. And the reason why the angel of death passes over them is because their houses were covered by the blood of the lamb. An innocent lamb had to die to save them. Do you see it? In verse 24, it says, to offer a sacrifice, this is why they came to offer a sacrifice. According to what is said in the law of the war, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. This verse comes from Leviticus 5, 7 through 13, which talks about how two turtle doves or pigeons will be offered for a sin offering or a burnt offering. And these offerings operate as the payment for sins that have been committed against God. But also they operate as a promise that God will forgive. God's 
saving work requires the shedding of blood. Do you see that? Do you see it? You see, the ironic part of the story is Mary and Joseph bring to the temple two turtle doves or two pigeons to pay the price for their sins. But you know what also they bring to the temple? Their baby. The Lamb of God, whose blood will be spilt to not only save them, but the world. The rescue plan is Jesus. Our only hope in the world filled with sin, death, suffering, and pain is Jesus. And this is what old Simeon sees. And so he picks Jesus up and he sings a song over him. He blesses God and he worships. And Simeon does die. But Simeon's with Jesus right now. Doing the same thing he did when he first saw him. Worshiping. Mary and Joseph, what do they do in response to this? They marvel. They're in awe. It's a mystery revealed. They're caught up in God's glory, the glory of his salvation for the world. And so what does this look like? I want to tell you a story. We're in, at Seven Rivers in Lakanto. We're going through the book of Genesis. And we're coming up on the story. I'm so excited about it. It's a story about brothers who hate their youngest brother. Because their youngest brother has found favor in the eyes of their father. And so they, what they do with this youngest brother, they, they, they pretty much kidnap him and sell him into Egyptian slavery. And then they return to their father and say that he's dead. But God does not abandon this younger brother. He blesses this boy. And he's raised up to become uh, Pharaoh's right-hand man. And what happens here is, is rather amazing. God gives a vision to this younger brother of this famine that's coming. And so Egypt prepares to weather a famine, which they do not know is going to come, but they, in faith, trust this youngest brother so much, they follow him, they prepare for a famine, which does eventually come. And people from all over the region are now coming to Egypt, seeking food, seeking help, seeking rescue. And sure enough, guess who shows up? His older brothers. And they come to him, and they don't even recognize him. They don't even see him and who he is. And they ask him to rescue them. His youngest brother has a decision to make. Will he rescue the brothers who tried to kill him? Will he forgive them? So he reveals himself to his older brothers. They see him. They witness him. They were not expecting it. And they realize that if they want to be saved, then they must be forgiven. This is the story of Joseph. This is the story of us before Jesus. I love how the story ends in Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant that evil for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive 
rescue. One of my professors at Covenant Seminary said to me, throughout the Bible, we see evil. We see it try its best to thwart God's plan. But no matter how hard evil tries, it always fails. God uses evil to accomplish his good plan. Evil, pain, and suffering, and death may blind us to hope. But it's through the evil done to Jesus, the pain that he takes, the suffering he endures, and the death of Jesus that we get to see again. And we can see hope. Even though we are encountering evil, pain, and suffering as I speak. As you sit here, do you see Jesus? Do you love him? On the night before Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it, representing his body being broken for you. Jesus took the wine and gave it for his disciples to drink, representing his blood shed for you. Simeon, a man on the cuffs of death, experiencing evil, pain, and suffering. Witnesses, Jesus, do you. In Jesus, we can see right through it. And we can see that there's hope. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as sinners. We realize that... Um, we have wronged you and we have wronged maybe some people in this room, wronged our families. We realize that we need you. We've got hard news maybe this season. We are suffering. We feel like death is all that we taste. But Father, uh, we give you thanks that you offer us a different taste, a different meal this morning that represent your body being broken for us, your blood being shed for us. God, thank you for offering us this meal that we're about to take because we get to see you in it. Our eyes get to be open to you in it. And we pray that your spirit would move through us and that you would forgive us, that you would bring us home. God, we long for you to return. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, a production of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. Learn more at sevenriversvillages.org.